year is drawing to a close, and werewolves, zombies, flocks of crows announce into the dead black air that spooky time is finally here. Carter Doge and Jordan too must brace themselves and not get spooked by horror films both new and older in the evil that is Chunktober. Hello. And welcome to Two Chunks and a Hop. <laughs> My name. I can't tell if you're a vampire or if you're holding in a yawn. <laughs> My name is John Wonders. Okay. And uh, uh, this week, I'm your chunk. Sorry, I had to yawn. Doge was right. I'm Doge. And here's Hunky. Nice. I'm Carter. And Wendy, darling, chunk of my life. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to go any further, but I'm, I'm Carter. <laughs> Why not, Carter? Keep it going. Because it's explicit. Doge, <laughs> I did hear you say hunk. Can you break that down? In much the same way as our beautiful couple, Jack and Wendy, take care of a historic hotel, I will be spending the next week of my life taking care of a historic presence on Two Chunks and a Hunk. Mm-hmm. Often mentioned, seldom appearing on our program. but Ooh, uh, Maybe someday. Maybe someday. She's got um, a lot of thoughts. She does. We just need to teach her how to articulate them. Uh, but yeah, Carter's bringing his Nana over and, and Jess and I are going to be taking care of her. That's mm-hmm. so kind of you. And I will, I, I want to, it's probably not best to do our personal stuff on, on air right now, but I will make sure to bring Nana's crate for Good. you to put her away Good. when y'all aren't home. Last time, see, that's the thing. Last time I took care of her, I woke up and she was sitting on the couch. And I know that she's allowed to do that at your house, but we have a rule that's no Nana's on our furniture. Yeah, and I, I get it. screamed at your Nana. <laughs> yeah. Understand. I get mean, off that couch. I was what do you, raged. What do you think? Do you think that's for you, Nana? You don't have, you don't need a couch, Nana. The floor is where you live, Nana. Mm. it's fine to hit her too it really is just not super hard you know i don't think it is in any context (laughs) (laughs) we did take her last time we did take her on a very long walk and thought thought that might be the most she'd ever walked in her life she gets into she she pulls so hard on the leash that it wears her out tenfold (laughs) so nana's strong nana's deceptively strong i've always said that about her but do, uh, yeah, thank you a million for doing that. Is the yeah. thing, um, and you know, when it comes to staying in unfamiliar places like Nana will be doing, there is uh, almost no movie more relevant uh, than the movie we are beginning our Chunktober series with. The spookiest of all series. That movie is, of course, known as The, the Shining. Shining. And uh, before we jump right in. The thing that I need so bad is a synopsis from my good friend and uh, Nana expert, Doge. This week's IMDb synopsis was written by Film Geek Guy. Mm. Mm -hmm. Film Geek Guy writes, A novelist, Jack Torrance, takes a job interview as winter caretaker of the isolated, old, huge, and beautiful Overlook Hotel. (laughs) He, He got them all, all the descriptors that I would have hoped he would. Jack brings his wife, Wendy, and his son, Danny. It happens that Danny has a mysterious power known as The Shining. Danny meets Halloran, the hotel cook, in their first day arriving at the Overlook, who warns him about the hotel and the sinister Room 237. As the days go by, Danny has visions. Meanwhile, Jack starts driving into insanity, turning more and more aggressive at the point that Danny and Wendy gets convinced that Jack might try to do something bad. That's it? I mean, well, that's the show. That was where it ends. <laughs> he doesn't ever do anything bad. They're just like, what if he does something bad? And then it's roll credits. Interesting. Hey, I feel the need to, to blast this out into the ether right here at the front of this episode. This is one of those movies that you can find a million podcasts about, right? This is one of those movies where you can find all kinds of people with varying degrees of academic insight into this movie, telling you everything you ever wanted to know and didn't care about at all about this movie. 
But what you won't find anywhere else other than our podcast is the unique conversational stylings of Jordan Doge and Carter. Yeah, that's true. The three best friends that ever there were watching the scariest <laughs> oldest movie that they could find on the internet. And while, while you bring up scariest oldest, I think we, we're getting so good at this show and at these conversations that we stumble upon uh, solidifying like how good series will be. In this case, I know that's kind of a weird way to intro this. We have... In our five movies, including our movie for Patreon, almost uh, every decade since the 80s. And even even then, we have uh, movies that were like in 2011 and then 1980. So a turn of the decade kind of situation. So really almost late 70s with the Shining vibe. And and you can definitely pick up on that. It's not fully owning what the 80s are in 1980. It's not the 80s yet. Not quite the 80s yet. But we do have uh, spanning... Uh, 40 years of horror. And wow. so that's going to be a fun continuing thread, I think. We don't do it yeah. chronologically, uh, but it will be a fun thread to talk about maybe how things have changed. Wow, this is the 40th anniversary of The Shining, huh? Yeah. Wow. This year. That's crazy. I did not realize that. Yeah. Mm-mm. That's hey, crazy. Uh, I want to start our discussion off with a couple questions. Um, number one... <laughs> So what happens in this movie? Yeah, tell me. Can somebody tell me about it? I didn't get a chance to watch. <laughs> um, so number one is: Are we as individuals fans of the horror genre? Like, is it a is it a genre we enjoy watching frequently? Um, I I I think I would consider. So there, like, horror is interesting because there are diehard, diehard, like obsessed fans with horror. Yeah, sure. I'm not there, but I like horror a lot. I watch a lot of horror whenever I get the chance. I really enjoy it. Define define horror. I think if we define our terms, it's when that it will help scares me answer. You? Okay, well, when it scares me. Let's see. Um, I enjoy horror that is not like gimmicky, if that makes sense. Okay. You know what I mean? I am not a boy who likes the jump scares and like the artificial, like if it's if it's horror that's grounded in the substance of the story rather than solely in the presentation of the story. Sure. The Shining's Shining's a great mix of both. The music being a notable contributor to the presentation, but uh, you know, if it's something that it's just like we edited this to be scary, and it, the story itself, you know, if it, if it's cheap, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm not into it, but I like really like thoughtful, well plotted horror, which you know, I would say most people with blood in their bodies would say that sentence. Sure. Yeah. I'm. I, I mean, I'll do it. It it takes something to get buzz enough buzz for me to want to go see it, um, or if it's a part of a series that I've seen before and I like a lot, then I'll see that one. But uh, I'm down, man. I'm down on a lot of different kinds of horror. Um, I'm like as Jordan said, I'm probably in the same area. I'm not like a super fanatic. Uh, it's horror does the kind of things that it's supposed to do. I am uh, somewhat of a thrill seeker in ways. Like I'll ride any ride. Uh, I could totally yeah. see myself skydiving someday. And so I think nope, sometimes nope. sometimes those go together. Like, Because really, horror is a lot about that, that rush, that bit of adrenaline that you can get if someone scares you really well. Sure. But it sure, does get yeah. old, though. That's uh, I'm glad you brought up the gimmick, gimmickiness of that because I think that happens a lot when things mm-hmm. are just overdone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll do... I think I could do any movie. I will never in my whole life go to a haunted house or something like that where where people are trying to scare me in real life. Yeah. yeah I could as long be, as can, I can turn my TV off and be done being scared. Or turn it or down. Cl- right. Or close my book and be done being scared. Or if it gets intense, I can pause the movie and go, this is pretty crazy, huh? Yeah. Then I'm good. <laughs> yeah. If I can't escape it, then I'm going to hate it. Yeah. I can't. I have a, uh, I think I would do an actual horror, a haunted house before I played a scary video game, which is funny. Because you have the pause, I would do a, you have the pause power on scary video games. But those, I, I would I'm, do a scary video game. I would never do a scary VR game. Uh, I would try uh, it. Yeah, that that feels tough. I would try it. I would get about five five minutes. No in way, and dude. Back out. Can you? I would like PT or something like that. Absolutely not. <laughs> I would try it. I would try it up up to and until the first scare. Not. It's definitely not fun. Um. But yeah, no, I'm, I, I, so I, I, yeah, I get where you're coming from and I, I tend to agree. I would not go to a haunted house. It does not interest me. A horror movie doesn't really bother me. A horror video game does until, <clears throat> until I can get past it. If that makes sense. Like wh- there's something about like, once you get scared a couple times by the same thing, it stops being scary and becomes an obstacle in a video game. And it's like, oh, okay, it's whatever. Um, but so my, my up question is when it comes to the shining, 
The Shining is a classic. Um, I think we, we've discussed before, we're all three coming at this from different angles. And by that, I mean, Carter, you had seen this before. This was not your first viewing. Right, but it was recently. And you have not read the book. I have not read the book. <clears throat> Doge, you had done neither. Correct. And I had only read the book and never seen the movie. So we are really, this is about as different three perspectives as you can have on this. Unless, unless one of us had Steve, watched the miniseries. Yeah, if we get Steve King on here, then maybe he'd have a different perspective. So um, I'd like to start by saying that I really, really enjoyed the book. Um, I thought the book was great. I thought the story told was great. I thought it was very, very scary, very suspenseful. Um, because I liked the book so much. Yeah. This movie didn't work for me that well. I mean, there's, mm. there's nothing to fault you having the same opinion of the person who created the story, like who sure. wrote the yeah, story. Stephen King doesn't sure. like it. He doesn't like it either. And again, I, and he, I like he came feels into more this. intensely about it than I do for sure. Yeah. I'll preface, I'll preface that I do like this movie, but it's, it's yeah, for a lot of unique too. reasons. But I, and I, and I preface you and I was talking to Jordan uh, about it before we started, but like, so at the end of this series, at the end of our Chunktober, we'll do Silence of the Lambs, which the world knows is my favorite movie because I've been saying it since Crazy Stupid Love three years ago. Mm -hmm. But uh, so I go into that feeling nervous, even though I kind of already know the boys' opinions on that movie too. Yeah. Uh, when we did Chooser's Choice, when we brought our director, I was about to movies, say, doesn't it feel yeah. like you have to like present an argument for why it's good? When right. It's your favorite. Like, yeah, because because I like bring Alien to the stage, which that was showing up on a lot of lists of the top horror movies of all time, which I get. Mm -hmm. uh, but bringing Alien to the stage and being like, Ugh, like I hope you like it, and then finding a moment to be like, yeah, but did you know this? With The Shining, it is so very much a Jackson Pollock, like if, if you think about, we've used the uh, metaphor before of like, because movies are art, they can be interpreted any way. Right. The Shining is the most, I feel, not just horror movie, but one of the most talked about movies in history with so many varying valid opinions that I, there's, I don't think there's a way for me to take offense to anything anybody has to say about The Shining, which ends up, we'll talk about later, being why I kind of like it so much. Sure. Um, but yeah, I totally get that, Jordan. I think that's got to be so interesting. And I know we don't have to go through every point of what was not like the book. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, there's, there's but, tons of those already on the internet. Yeah. I've, I've also, yeah, I've heard, <laughs> I think there's people that have done like their doctoral theses on the that's show. That's what I'm saying. Interesting. Yeah. It's, I was thinking of that as I was preparing for the show, um, just trying to like write some notes and be like, okay, this would be cool stuff to talk about. It's going to be very tough for us to bring anything new to the table in terms of the discussion around the shining. Like it feels like when we reviewed star Wars, it's like, okay, mm -hmm. yeah, that's been done to death. Every, every person has, uh, who, who considers himself a movie buff has studied that movie. But I wonder, Carter, you, you were mentioning that this, there's, uh, like a lot of valid interpretations of this and you can't really fault anybody. I wonder if that, and I'm just making this connection, if that's part of the enduring popularity of The Shining. Could be. Is yep. that in the same way that when you're reading a book, you can uh, like imagine characters and imagine locations and they're uniquely tailored to you. And so like if you watch a book get turned into a movie, um, like this happened to me when I went to see the Harry Potter movies. I was like, okay, that's great. That's not what Hogsmeade looks like though. Because yeah, I yeah. had a picture of it in my mind. But I wonder if the sense of ownership that you have here. Cause when you're, when you're reading a book, you're co-creating with the author, right? Yeah. They're suggesting and you're filling out the world. Uh, mm. um, I wonder if the, the enduring popularity of this is that there, it is so open that I'm able to fill it with the thing that would make it the most scary to me. Right. And then, you know, I wonder if it's, if it's enough of a blank slate that it is applicable to more people. Yeah. Uh, I think that, yeah, that's a good point because I think yeah. the vagueness of, a certain vagueness of, uh, in terms of my interpretation of what is scary about this movie, uh, makes it adaptable. We use a Harry Potter sure. reference. We can call it, it's kind of like the Boggart, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever comes out so, of yeah. that chest ends up being what you're most afraid of. Uh, and the shining does kind of a shotgun method in, in some cases for some people Yeah, uh, that you, there's enough in here, like, uh, domestic abuse, like anything from domestic abuse just to inherent, rooted evil like hellish devil yeah. evil uh racism like there's tons of stuff in here that 
Yeah. It's just like, what is terrifying? And it's a, a, a buffet of grossness that yeah. you get to pick what's the grossest, <laughs> scariest to you. Absolutely. Right? You know, I was listening, one of the podcasts I was listening to that had commentary on this, they're all writers. And so they were talking about how like writers block and the actual effect that can have on their demeanor. Like that was the terror there. It's like, you know what? Wow. I recognize the times I've snapped at someone I loved because they kind of took me out of the moment. Right. And so that's so interesting. It is very interesting and can be interpreted by, I mean, any, I, I'm, I'm down to hear any opinion, honestly. It's weird sure. like that. Yeah. Well, and so I'm glad you say that because uh, I'm going to super dump now so that I can feel a little freed up to be more positive because I don't want to just dunk on this movie the whole time. I don't feel that way about it. it yeah. It's not that it's a bad movie by any means, in my opinion. But <laughs> um, my super dump is the the writing and the handling of the four main characters. And by f- I'm including the hotel as a character for reasons that I'll explain. And I'm going to try and do this quickly. Um, all four of these main characters, the Torrances in the hotel, other than general facts about them are very different than the book, which to hmm. me changes the entire story. I'm sure like it does. It's, it's almost not the same story that's being told in the book. For instance, um, in the book, Danny is a little bit younger, but incredibly precocious. Um, like, like very smart and loves to like watch Sesame street and read and like do all these things, but, but has a pretty good handle on, um, his shine and like what's going on in his head when Halloran first brings it up to him. And in this movie, I just did not feel that from a little more helpless in this version. Yeah. A little more helpless. Danny is a little more, um, Pretty like, creative kid though. That the, the whole finger moving thing was his idea. Did y'all read that? Totally. That's wild. Totally. And um, so they're like, oh, that's terrifying. You also saw that he didn't watch this movie until 11 years later. Right. Not in full. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's only great. seen edited versions Which to is protect good. his beautiful child mind. Yeah. Thank you for that's that. That's probably a good idea. Uh, but yeah, so, so there's differences there with Danny. The biggest differences come from the other three though. So in the book, Wendy is portrayed as pretty self-sufficient and a very strong personality to balance against John in the book, not Jack. Um, and uh, Wendy in the movie, I, I just found her kind of like, like helpless and clueless. I don't know. She did not strike me as particularly, um, like cunning or, um, in control of any particular situation. And yeah, which changes things because in the book, John Jack is a very good man who is transformed by actual malevolent beings that want to control his son Mm -hmm. because of the shine. Mm -hmm. And when they can't get it, control of Danny, they go after him. And there's literally a part in the book where he is in the middle of attacking Danny to kill him and becomes lucid again and tells him to run away and basically says, I love you. Get out of here. That's cool. Um, and then the, the hotel itself is, um, it's the concept of what if a haunted house was alive? It's not just ghosts present in the house. It's that the house itself is malevolent and evil. And, um, talk about how it's like, it's, it's Danny's presence that causes the hotel to ramp up all the scary stuff because mm-hmm. the shine is yeah. affecting everything around. So all that to say, um, I totally understand that Kubrick's interpretation is just different, but to me, it's like it, the movie sort of in that way feels like somebody read the shining and then had a dream about the shining and then made a movie about, say, about that dream. It's annihilation, right? It's the difference between the book and the movie for annihilation. Right. And, and I don't know why annihilation works so well for me and the shining just did not. Um, I think it's because Annihilation is incredibly modern, incredibly slick. And like, I think if we're watching this in the theater in 1980, yeah, we feel the same way about it as we do about Annihilation. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, I know you and I have both read the book. Carter, have you read the book Annihilation? I have not. Jeff Vandermeer? I have not read it. Excellent. The first in an excellent trilogy of books called the Area X series has nothing at all to do with the movie. Yeah. Like it's just, just conceptually similar. Um, yeah. And I think that's because we're able to see both both the film versions of The Shining and Annihilation are way more experiential cinema than they are like narrative driven sure. cinema. I'd like to imagine, uh, you know, if we had a if we had a podcast, and again, technologically, it, it can't happen, a radio show in the '80s, right? And we decide we hear on uh, in the news on a mini Monday that there's going to be a Stephen King adaptation of a movie, and it's it's Stanley Kubrick. I think we're going to assume. It is not going to be by the book, right? I, yeah. I, he is. Yeah. He is not. He was never known for that, and so I can't imagine. You know, Stephen did not end up happy with the end product. I wonder if he ever had hope in it at all. Yeah, with how different 
Stanley is. Uh, his movies, Stanley Kubrick did not make a ton of movies, um, but more than 75% of them are in IMDb's top 250, which is just so interesting when you have, have directors that uh, they have a, a great hits album, you know? Yeah, for real. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, that's an interesting distinction to draw. And it's totally in line with both of those, uh, both the work of Stephen King and of Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. I mean, it, in, in ways, those two feel like a match made in heaven because they think differently. Uh, but their, their interpretations were just so far apart that, that I think there was a fence. Do you guys generally like Stephen King? I do. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do too. I, I just there's something about this. The whole premise is like the Stephen Kingist thing that ever Stephen Kinged. Sure, uh, he, he tends to have the, uh, you know, the the general rule of thumb is like you basically get one big ask of your audience. Yeah, right. Uh, which is like you have to get them to buy into this thing. Like I need you to buy into the fact that shared dreaming is possible. Okay, right. now that you're there, we can tell the story of Inception. Stephen King, I feel like often does too. Yeah, I need you to buy into the fact that there's something called The Shining, and I also need you to buy into the fact that this hotel is alive and it's going to eat them. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. D- sorry to segue into my super pump. Uh, I'll do this based off of something that Jordan had said uh, in a difference between the book. I, I think I think it's actually really interesting to hear the book plot that John, uh, who's Jack in this, but John is it Torrance still. Yeah, still Torrance. So John Torrance is a really good guy. And so we get to see that transformation. Well, at least trying to be. At least trying know. to be a good guy. Aren't yeah. we all? So the main reason, I, I, I think that was doomed from the start to ever work. Uh, but that's my super pump is Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance. Hey, it's mine too. Yeah, uh, I feel like it has to be. Cause, I mean, because he never had a chance. Is it yours too? Uh, yeah, it is. But Be- begrudgingly, I have an asterisk, but continue. Yeah, he <laughs> never had a chance to Jack is not cast to be a good guy. We did uh, with a good friend of ours, Ben Larzabal. He did Story Shape Life, and one of the seasons was talking about emotions. And I used Jack Nicholson as the emotion of anger. This was from his scene in A Few Good Men. You can't right. handle the truth. Yeah, yeah. But it's hard to portray anger the way that he does. And honestly, I have never seen a face work as hard as Jack Nicholson in this. Did you see some of the ways that they tried to make him irritated? Yeah. This is my favorite fact about this movie. He hates cheese sandwiches and he ate for how long? Two weeks? Two weeks. Of cheese sandwiches before filming. So he was just kind of already irritated. Um, But it shines through. But Jack Nicholson, and I'll go ahead and bring up my point here. Here's what's interesting. When this movie came out, the only thing it won was Razzie Awards. And Razzie's... Wow. I didn't even know Razzie's were this old. Mm-hmm, um, me neither. But Shelley Duvall for Best Actress and then Kubrick for Director. And in the Razzie's, Razzie's are saying it's awful, right? Uh, this movie ends up being on IMDb's Top 100. It's number 63 of considered the greatest films of all time. Jack Nicholson, there are, that means there are no Oscar nominations for this movie. And it was a pretty tough year in 1980. But I think Jack Nicholson deserved an Oscar nomination. I think this movie needed to have at least four or five. The set, you know, we talk about how this hotel is a character. The cinematography, for Pete's sake, the cinematography was outstanding. We had on set the guy who invented the Steadicam. The guy who invented it is running it. And you can freaking Mm -hmm. tell because it's great. Our hall following Danny on the bike, there's so much that happens in this movie that I can't believe the credit it didn't get. Yes, this was an off the wall. But I think a good, I think a reason for that is horror did not look like this in 1980, right? Up until then, it was, it was a trope. Horror was the guy who's just going to hunt you down and kill you. And it's obvious. So Kubrick kind of was way ahead of his time and nobody recognized it. Even the people that considered themselves experts did not recognize it. Strange. You mentioned sets briefly. This is my interesting fact. The exteriors from the front of the hotel are the Timberline Lodge. Uh, that's Mount Hood in Oregon behind it. I have been to the Timberline Lodge and I like, I paused it and I was like, looked at Jess. I was like, wait, have we been there? And she was like, it really looks like we have. So yeah, it's the Timberline Lodge in, uh, in, in Oregon. Did you stay the there? Interiors, no, no, no. We didn't stay there. We went in the summer. That building doesn't have air conditioning. It's mm. a ski lodge. And so it was pretty, pretty warm uh, when we were there. Mm. But uh the interiors are are not. Those are at a Stanley a hotel. hotel. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that tripped me up a little bit. I was the first couple times we saw it, I was like, no, we definitely haven't been there because it doesn't look like that on the inside. Then I was like, oh yeah, I'm watching a movie. <laughs> They're different places. Yeah, that's funny. So I, I, I want to talk about Jack Nicholson just for a second. I'm giving him my super pump for the specifically for the subtleties in his performance. Things like when he is um the the standout scene to me in Jack Nicholson's performance is the two times that he's at the bar. Yeah, dude. 100 percent He's just outstanding. Yeah. Um, I feel like, and this is my asterisk. So I, I give full credit for that. It's fantastic. My asterisk comes from, I feel like what he gets uh, a lot of credit for is the craziness, which I, I do appreciate a lot, but there's a, there's a point when it devolves into this Jim Carrey <laughs> screaming, grunting thing where it's like, Jack, dude, like not quite it for me, bud. You're talking about in the maze? In the maze and a couple of other times when he's like getting hyped up about doing some stuff, it's just like a little, I don't know if it's like slapsticky or three stoogy for me, um, where it's, it loses some of that. Like for me, he's scariest when he's walking up the steps, slowly talking oh to Shelly Duvall or when he's, yeah. when he's, you can tell he's going crazy at the bar by himself talking to these ghosts or whatever. Um, and, and that is when Jack Nicholson shines and earns the super pump for me for sure. And I can completely appreciate it. Yeah. Doge, did you want to expound on why he's your super dump? Or you pump? said, yeah, you said that you've never seen a face work as hard and I was going to bring up Jim Carrey. Like there is some yeah, yeah. sort of Jim, Jim Carrey-ness to him. Maybe or because Amelia I've seen, Clark's eyebrows exclusively. Yeah. Maybe because I've seen Jim Carrey do Jack Nicholson. Yeah. You know? uh, that's probably where I'm, I'm getting that. Uh, that correlation, but actually the, the like guttural screaming in the maze really works for me. Huh. It's interesting that that doesn't work for, I it wonder doesn't if at that all is for me. I wonder if that's because you're, you're looking in this performance uh, when you're watching Jack Torrance, I wonder if you're still subconsciously looking for John Torrance, you know? Uh, I don't think so. John gets pretty unhinged. I don't think that's, hmm. I, I don't think that is a case of that. Yes. I think I see that's that elsewhere. Not- yeah, but that's not what makes that not work for you? No, I think for me, what makes it not work is it just comes across as like hammy overacting versus like mm. in the face of all of this like intense subtlety that he's got going on elsewhere, that just comes through at the end. And it's just like, it reminds me of Abed's impression of Nick Cage <laughs> in funny. Community. I'm a cat. Yeah, I'm a cat. <laughs> I'm, then, a sexy I'm a sexy cat. cat. And then he jumps yeah. up on the desk and just kind of starts walking around doing the like, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it feels like that and not in not a good way to me. Hmm. Um, however, are we sorry? Can I move on to one other person? Yeah. Yeah, sure. If that's okay. Um, not a super dump or super pump for me. Um, I am open to having my mind changed and I went in really, really wanting to appreciate the performance because of everything I had heard about it. Shelly Duvall Shelly Duvall is my super dumb. Dude, she does not work in this movie. Yeah. I think she is quite bad. She this. gets a lot of credit, earned credit, deserved credit for her reaction to Jack Nicholson busting down the door and yes. to how freaked out she gets with Jack Nicholson walking up the stairs. I say anybody could get scared enough to have that reaction in either of those two situations. And I, I don't want to take credit away from her. I think that it's not her fault. I think she was miscast. Doge, she's your super dump. You talk about it. I think she was absolutely miscast. Uh, I think the only things that sh- that work for her are those those frightened scenes. But I think that any time that she's asked to like really convey much emotion other than terror using her words rather than her screams, I think it completely falls flat for me. Yep. Um, it's also interesting to note that this was 1980, and the uh, the other big thing that she did in 1980 was play olive oil in the Robin Williams Popeye movie. <laughs> yeah. And she does. And Robin Williams was almost cast as Jack. Really? Yeah. So this is a soft prequel to Popeye. (laughs) Um, So I'll say Shelley Duvall works for me, but I'm not coming in this to try and convince you. No, please. I want to hear what you have to Um, say. I think there was something about, and, and, and I totally get where you're all coming from, but when I'm watching it, the fact that it just feels like we have Bambi as the wife to this terror that's basically awful the whole time. Something about her aloofness and innocence and just her kind of falling into uh, the unfortunate trope of just kind of taking care of everything herself 
You know, we talk about how she didn't seem very capable. She's the one who was communicating with people from the outside and actually doing all the things Jack was supposed to do. Jack doesn't do a single thing of what he was hired for. Uh, Wendy is who should have really been paid because she did everything there. But just to see her kind of aloofness the whole time makes her feel more helpless to me. And I think something about Wendy's helplessness makes Jack's just craziness more terrifying. Um, that's so interesting that you're that you're reading like aloofness from that or, or innocence from that the way it's written to me like i'm getting dumb from that mm-hmm. like i she and i know that she demonstrates competency but it's like almost competency that i feel like i'm supposed to be surprised at like yeah the way she's written i almost catch myself going oh wow she knows how to work a radio like she just seems like right so helpless yeah i i think i maybe it's just carter feeling sorry for her I think the moment I start having those kinds of opinions about Shelley Duvall, like not Wendy Torrance, but the way that Shelley Duvall talks about Wendy Torrance is how it feels like Jack Torrance feels about his own wife. She's incapable. She's annoying. She shouldn't even be there. So he would probably super dump his wife if he was on the podcast because he just doesn't like her. And so for me, in, in what makes it probably the scariest thing, the scariest aspect of this movie, and I'd love to touch on all of ours, but what is scariest about this movie is the complete change in demeanor and just kind of letting, like knowing that evil has always existed and letting it take over is terrifying to me. So maybe I am actively working in my subconscious against saying, I don't want to be anything close to Jack Torrance. So I want to praise his wife. (laughs) And what's happening is I'm I'm praising the actress (laughs) in real life, right? Uh, But it's not necessarily praise. Uh, She's she's involved in my super dump, uh, but my super dump was just, uh, it was a lot more to do with the environment uh, there's a point when, uh, and it's a pretty terrifying moment, everything in the bathroom, which I think it's funny that we have an allusion to it because the first time that they talk about how they like the apartment is when they're both standing in the bathroom together only to find yeah. out like we're going to have them in the bathroom together again, but in a different way. Um, she opens that door and, and, and squeezes her son out, Danny, to slide down that hill. Okay, not the door, the window. She can't make it through. That's terrifying. Because you imagine if he breaks through and you're stuck there and you're just going to get chopped and not be able to see any of it. That's, that's really scary to me. Here's what happens though. When Holleran shows up, uh, she had every chance to stick her head out that window. She could have saved yeah. him. Scatman yeah. Carruthers yep. could have lived if she had just stuck her head out the window. Because she heard, yeah. it, like everyone can hear this, this vehicle coming through the snow. And that totally kind of changes what's going on in that moment, kind of changes the pace. She, all she's got to do is just stick her head out. That, that stood out so much to me that I was like, oh man, that's dumb. And some horror movies yeah. do that, but it's tropey. Like some horror movies are like, don't go in there. You know, don't do that. But with The Shining, there's kind of a, I don't know, because of the influence of the house or the hotel being a character, some of that stuff makes sense as to why you can't leave. It's because it's not letting yeah. you, you know? Yeah, I guess um, maybe that's a little bit of like, uh, like a plot band-aid. You know, if, if there's anything yeah. that feels like, that doesn't quite work for me, then we can, I don't know, is, is the house having a malevolent will of its own, a, a get out of jail free card yeah. a little bit? <laughs> right. Right. Or never leave jail. Yeah. And speaking of uh, all encompassing uh, buildings and concepts with their own thoughts, minds, and wills of their own, it is time for the podcast to drive us all the way to shout announcements. We do the mesh. We do shout announcements, Mash. Now we have to pay for it, dude. No, we can't afford <laughs> no, that song. Parody law, baby. It's all parody from here all the way down. Welcome to Shout Announcements. It's the part of the show where we give shouts, outs, shout outs, shout outs, <laughs> shout outs, and make announcements. Uh, hey, Mr. E returns. I'm, no, <laughs> he's gone. And I never want to hear his name again. Hey, why did we invent a spooky boy for our non-Halloween series? It was an accident. <laughs> because we're human, that's all. It was an accident. Hey. Or are we dancer? If you love that great, great Killers reference and Monster Mash parody, then and I killers know. Killers, also appropriate. You, I know you want more where that came from. And I have good news. There is more where that came from in Patreon land. In Patreon. Become a patron. For $3 a month forever, you get access to bonus episodes. For this series, we're doing Cabin in the Woods, and it's going to be... Hey, go see that. Yeah, watch that movie. Never seen it. I'll probably watch it before we do our episode. Go into the living room and see it. 
Oh, it's so Doge, very, very good. I think you're going to love it, man. I'm excited for that. Good, good. There's also some some fun extra stuff on the website for you. And mostly you just get a lot of joy from it. I think it brings joy. Um, yeah. Marie Kondo would be a fan. Yes. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. Something else that Marie Kondo would encourage you to do, were we so privileged to have her as a guest on our program, is she would encourage you to rate and review our podcast on the on the iTunes podcast store. Uh, that's the best way for shows uh, to reach new ears and new listeners and to to get you, dear listeners, some new chunky brothers and sisters. Uh, <laughs> we, would, we would absolutely love to expand the number of people that we call our children. And the best way to do that is for our current children to rate and review us on the iTunes store. So if you haven't done that, it's super simple. And it takes like, what, 30 seconds? It's so fast. Yeah. Do it. Super Peer fast. Peer pressure. Do it. We all want you to. Do it. After you're done with that, like after you've gone to rate and review, uh, something that's even more simple is to subscribe. So if, if you haven't done that, as we've said already, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, if you are not yet tired of my voice, there's another podcast that I'm on. Uh, and if you like werewolves and vampires uh, and fantastical things like that, that sometimes come with the horror season, that is also included in a Dungeons and Dragons podcast that I DM, meaning a dungeon master, I created that world. Uh, with good friends of mine, Vince and Mariah Kelly and Ben Larzabal, who have been mentioned. Uh, they follow our podcast here, uh, and we've done stuff uh, with almost all of them uh, and good friends of ours. But we, we do a Dungeons & Dragons podcast called Trolls and Table Talk. So if you have the time, go give Trolls and Table Talk. Around this time, so October, I think this is an October 6th release for our podcast. Yes, sir. Um, there are going to be already live 13 to 14 episodes. And at the end of this month, the end of October... There's one that is is pretty Halloween themed. That's a lot of fun that we really enjoyed recording. So uh, give that a look when you have the time, if you can. Speaking of things that you should look at, <laughs> it is time for you to know what to look at on your TV next week for us to talk about it and the movie that we'll be doing. And in case that wasn't clear enough for you, I'm just going to go ahead and say <laughs> no, it right dude, now. Crystal, crystal clear. <laughs> Our our next episode is going to be about It Follows. I have not seen it, but... I uh, haven't either. I, I will I have. describe it to you now. There is going to be something. So so basically, there's... there's uh, Someone will be walking, um, and then behind them, yeah. another... Someone, something, will also be walking in the same direction after them. It's yep. actually not... Uh, it's not too far off. <laughs> there it is. Well, well, already got it. That's it. I guess we don't have to watch it now. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to talk about Scare Factor, if that's okay. Not Fear Factor, the popular Joe Rogan-hosted television show about challenging yourself physically and mentally. I'm talking about Scare Factor, which is something I think we should bring up in every episode of this Love it. series. I think it's important. Please define Scare Factor for me. How scary is this movie? Is it on you? a scale? Um, yeah, let's just call it one to 10, I think is easiest, right? Interesting. Okay. Like 10 is like the scariest thing you've partaken in. And one is like, um, one, a, a good baseline is one is watching like sports on TV. It's like, there's dude, nothing that's scary, scary about to it. me, dude. No, that's scary to me. I'm expected <laughs> to care about this. I don't. Um, let's call it one to 10 or, or eh to ah might be good too. Um, yeah. <laughs> Which vowel do you prefer? Yeah. Uh, for me. No, let's have it be descriptive that way. Let's have it be like onomatopoeia, like a yeah, 
Just making an, a sound. Of yeah, I was gonna say from from sunflower to spider. Eh, where do we land? Eh, is like not scary, and ah is very scary. And I'll let you fill in your sound on the way there. Okay. Okay. For Jordan, The Shining, the film by Stan Stanley Kubrick, is like a hey. It, real quick, is it Kubrick or Kubrick? I think it's Kubrick, but I also don't know that for sure. Have I been saying it wrong my entire? Oh, life? I don't know I what so. it is either. I don't know what it is. So it's open it's to interpretation, much like the movie. Um. For me, this movie is like a, oh, as in what I'm saying is I did not really find this movie that scary. TBH. Uh, for me, it's a little bit of like a, yeah, it, it was. Uh, it, and if we're translating that, if we run it through the translator, we plug it into Google Translate, we'll see that that gets me to about a seven and a half okay. out of 10 scaries. Okay. Uh, for me, it was, uh, oh, so it's kind of like a, um, the more I think about it, the scarier it is, right? This is not sure. going to be a, this scene scared me, right? Sure. Yeah. The moments that I really do jump though, are when Jack comes from, from behind the yep. column that and one axes got me. our good friend yep. in the yep. chest. That one got me. Um, but I think, uh, just Jack is disturbing. In I this agree movie. with that. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. it's enough. I'm going to give it probably an eight out of 10. And okay. I think it's because it managed to, even though uh, I didn't watch this until like months ago, uh, even though I knew a lot of what was going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it's a completely different on the scale the very first time you watch it. Maybe, maybe. Uh, like if you watched it in 1980 before anybody knew sure. about The Shining. Totally. Um, but like the blood through the elevator and stuff like that, that's, it's, it's all shot pretty well. But I think yeah. the more time I have to linger on it and how uh, as ridiculous as it is, that thing I talked about earlier of like someone just kind of giving in to the weakness and, and like giving into evil and how much that can actually happen is pretty scary to me. Sure. I think it's more unsettling than like yeah. scaring. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, uh, into the mind of a serial killer. Like, like knowing that these horrors can happen and wondering how you get there. It's, it's Dude, obviously a more fantastical twist on it, but I don't know what I'm, I missed, and I promise I'm not trying to be a jerk about this movie. I really am not. I don't know what I missed that you guys caught, and I wish that I had watched it with those with that lens. Because like to me, this is like a three or four on the scary scale. Jack was very disturbing and very intense, and I totally agree with that. But like I wanted a slow build of dread that I didn't feel like I got, maybe. Um hmm. did you get that in the book? Yes. Yeah. Very I much. think that's it. I mean, I think if we're if we're isolating variables. Sure. You've read the book and we haven't. Maybe and I maybe think that's that, what it boils like, down to ultimately. And I know I know you. You're really good at separating like this is my previous experience with this story, but I'm engaging with it now, and this is necessarily different because it's a different medium. Sure. But there is like these are so different, and the movie itself is already polarizing to people who have and haven't read the book. Right. Yeah, that's that a good I think point. It, you know, I don't. I don't. If you loved the book and this is so different from the book, I don't know that you had any chance of not comparing it to the book well, and let, not liking the book better. Let me give you a, a quick, for instance, if I might, just from my perspective. Okay. And this is an example of something that I felt a couple times throughout the movie because of the book. One of the scariest factors of the book is that there is... Um, a ghost of a man in a dog costume stalking Danny through the halls of the hotel. Um, And uh, there's like a backstory with him and all this stuff. And it's very interesting. And the man himself, like the ghost is pretty creepy. We get in what is, in my opinion, the scariest and most like disturbing and freaky scene, which is Shelly Duvall alone in this hallway, looking into this room where there is a man in what looks maybe more like a bear costume in the movie, but like, in this costume and I think it's supposed to be a dog. Is it? Well, I'm watching it and I was like, I was like, they're going to do it. They're going to do the dog. And then they just kind of didn't like, it was like, Oh, here's an homage. And I was very freaked out visually by like what the costume looked like. And I was like, he's going to start coming after them. Um, and you know, it happens frequently in the book, not one time, but I was still like, yeah, this is going to be scary. And then it just kind of was like, wasn't that room weird anyway? Um, yeah. That didn't work for me at all. Yeah. I know that that's like the thing about this movie is people, you know, point to different elements of it. Like, no, that's the key. Once you understand that, you understand the whole thing. That to me felt most similar to Gabe's horror movies that he shows on The Office. <laughs> right. It's just like weird images and you're supposed to be unsettled by it. Right. You know, there's nothing like to me that just that didn't work. Right. And I, I was unsettled. I find that dog costume very difficult to look at for some reason. 
Um, and so like that did the freak teeth, me I out, think. but it was so fast. Yeah. I think the, if I'm the only reason I would be surprised at like a three or a four, like you have on your scare scale, Jordan right. is I, I feel like the soundtrack alone gets the average person to a five. I think the sure. soundtrack is pretty terrifying. Dude, and, can, and, uh, can I be honest about the soundtrack? Yeah. It was too, almost too much for me in a lot of places. Mm. Like, like there were, I think that's the point. I think it's supposed to be uncomfortable, but that's the intent. That's intentional. Yeah, sure. Uh, But I mean like all around like volume and length of time that it would hang around in certain moments. It was very good. Like, like it was very creepy and unsettling for sure. But there were moments where I was like, it's just still going, you know? See, I would say the same thing. Dude, did I accidentally go into this super jaded or something? I don't know. I don't know, but that's a, that's a, that's a big plus for me is that there was such a disconnect between like, Oh my God, please stop. Like the music has to just stop and it won't. And it unsettles me. And it's like, yeah, it's like the experiential nature of this means I didn't love it. I thought it was very good. Right. I'm typically not an experiential guy. Uh, We've talked about it before on the show. I think all three of us are story boys first. Like our plot is so, so important to us in the movies that we watch. Sure. And the, yeah. the, the draw of this, the, you know, the manager special, I guess, is the experiential nature of it, that you want the music to stop and it won't stop, that it's right. too loud and you can't hear the dialogue, that you get these quick flashes of unsettling imagery and that you can't really get a handle on what exactly is happening. And I think just to varying degrees like that, because it's so experiential, you can't necessarily point to this plot element works. This plot element doesn't work. It all is did you feel it? I don't know. Try next time. You know, it, it, there, there's, it's way yeah. more subjective. Yeah. 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 I'm wondering if, if I accidentally brought way more of the book expectations with me than I realized I did or something. I don't know. Cause I, I, I really am well, and that's, wishing that's a, that I felt what you guys are saying you felt watching this. Well, and to be clear, it's like we said at the top of the episode, there's not a wrong because it is experiential. There's not a wrong opinion about it. Like, like I think to, to last week's movie, if somebody went in and started to, to talk about the plot of Knives Out and said, this is not a well-written plot, we can empirically point to things that say, no, it actually is. Sure. It actually really hangs together well. There are elements uh, that we carry through the whole movie. It's a well-written plot. But I think if somebody comes into this experiential type of movie and says, I didn't feel it then we can't fault them for that. Right. Then just, you didn't feel it. And that's fine. It's like a roller coaster. Like I didn't enjoy it. It didn't, my stomach didn't drop when I did the loop. That's not the roller coaster's fault. And that's not your fault. It's just, just didn't work. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. And and I think maybe that's how I'm feeling is like, you know, we all, it reminds me of, do you guys remember those oxygen bars? Yeah. Where you would like put the oxygen thing in your nose. You know what I'm talking about? I never did it, but I knew of them. I did one with yeah. my cousin a long time ago and I remember leaving and him being like, Oh, I feel really like energized and really, and I just felt nothing. And I remember being like, I wish I felt that like, like yeah. that would be cool. Like I paid for it. I wish I felt that. And it, like you're yeah. saying, like, it's not my fault. It's not the oxygen's fault. It just didn't work for me. And I yeah. think that's where I'm landing with this movie is like, I'm jealous of the experience that you two seem to have had with this movie wishing that I had, but it just, for some reason, and it's, I feel like such a, like, it's so weird being like this classic movie that is like regularly spoken of with high regard didn't work for me. Like, that's just the way I feel about it though. Yeah. No, I mean, I I do get it. That's going to be something that I think a lot of people probably experienced if they they read the book first. Yeah. Stephen King experienced that. Like yeah. he wrote it and hates this. So yeah, yeah. And his comment about it's a very, very nice car with no engine is exactly how I feel about this movie. Mm. Like yeah, it's, it's it's all presentation. It's really well done. It's beautiful, and there's just nothing there that latches me on from the top to the bottom. Yeah, for me. Yeah, and also I think I people it. who like it are stupid. <laughs> that is the other thing too, is that we want to make sure on two chunks and a hunk, everybody has the clearance to make sure that their opinion is the, is the line of demarcation between intelligence and unintelligence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so uh, it does good. remind me too of like, uh, so just a little taste of what we're feeling. Jordan, you talked about it on the show maybe, uh, or maybe this was just a personal conversation. The three of us do talk outside of recording. That's true. Um, uh, you talked about the trailer for, uh, I'm thinking of ending things yes. when the dog starts shaking yes. in that trailer and you're just like, Oh my God, please stop. Yep. You have to stop. You yep. have to stop. You have to stop. 
that is the kind of experiential thing that I think we're going for in this movie. Oh, I and love it is, that it feeling. Totally a person-to-person totally. thing of like, yeah. does that land? Does it not land? Yeah, I showed that trailer to somebody and I was looking at them while the dog was shaking and they weren't reacting. And I was like, does this not freak you out? <laughs> uh, so I get, yeah, you're totally right. And I think yeah. that I think that I just have with movies like this a tendency to really want to like it. And so like, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, man, I hope that I have freed up some listener of ours from having to pretend like they love The Shining. <laughs> It's it, man. It's we say it all the time. We especially mean it when we talk about these classic movies. Like you have full clearance and full permission to love what you love and dislike what you dislike, and you don't have to prove that or validate that to anybody. Art is subjective. There are empirical things that we can look at, like the strength of a narrative, how well a plot hangs together, mm-hmm. the actual craft involved, and we can say these are good or bad. But your opinion of it and the way that the art affects you—that's yours, and you get to decide whether you like it or you don't like it. Yep, one hundred. Well, is there, uh, is there anything else that we feel like we need to, to slam on here? The, the maze was built for the movie, um, almost to scale from what I heard. It's interesting. And red, which is crazy. And I want to do I a think, maze like that, by the way. Yeah. Nope. I want to very Absolutely badly. Absolutely not. I, I do not want to do that. Yeah. I get claustrophobic. I'm not into that. So I think that was a nice level. You know, you talk about a set piece. I would count that in the set piece of the hotel because it is yeah. on hotel property. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I, so my interpretation of this movie, which seems to be a popular topic when talking about The Shining in general, yeah, is the, the ultimate villain was, was simply just kind of evil. Uh, that evil was the villain, that, that sin. So I, I'm, I, I think it's, almost blatant what Kubrick did. And I don't know if it's in the book, Jordan, but the fact that it is mentioned that this hotel was built on an Indian burial ground. Right. Right. So we have like an original sin here. Like we, we did something wrong. Right. uh, And now it is cursed. And this kind of becomes a door to uh, a hellish landscape, being able to kind of reach up and take control of, of the mortal world. And so it feels like Jack Torrance is just completely overcome. And so like the moments where he's just like Jack, Jack Nicholson, there's a scene that lingers for a while just on his face uh, when he's just kind of looking out of the window of the lobby out into the snow, it feels like. Uh, And he's doing these minor things like with just barely, like you can't tell if he's going to smile uh, and then his eyes squint a little bit and stuff right there. And he did a good job to me of it just feeling like it's taking over, which means like the guttural noises we get at the end in the maze are, it just feels like, it almost feels like it's uh, legion just like coming out of his mouth yeah, and not being yeah, able to right. really understand what's happening. And he's just kind of taken over by it. Right. Um, even though I think him being frozen is somewhat of a comical, it, it makes it, it has more, I'm more prone to laugh at the frozen version. Yeah. Of Jack it Lawrence. has become memified so much. Oh, a hundred yeah. by this point. Like I would, I would have thought that was something from national lampoons movie, not right. from, <laughs> An esteemed horror film by right. Stanley and, Kubrick. And, and that is that is another that's a perfect example of like other other variations from the book that is not at all how the book ends. Um which how does Jack die in the book? You want Don't me to tell you for I'll real? beep you I'll beep you out, dude. I'll beep you. I'm not gonna spoil this book for people who want to read okay. it. I'll tell you after the recording. Okay. Um it's a phoenix oh, that the rises terror, from the ashes uh, and kills him. <laughs> uh I think it is pretty terrifying that she looks and the whole reason that they were there for was for him to write, but all he's writing is I'll work and no play makes Jack a dull boy like over and over and over again. Yeah, that's a very good yeah. scare. Uh, I do like that. Like it. Stanley Kubrick had his one of his assistants type all of those themselves. Good grief! <laughs> and then she quit. Is my guess. How miserable! <laughs> uh, I do want to point out. I I I am personally against all the uh, rumors and maybe most of it's factual of like how Kubrick got. Shelly Duvall yeah. to be so yeah that's not antsy. good that's yeah stinks, that's real crappy man. that is that is scarring it it is totally juxtaposes him wanting to protect Danny yeah that's like when you're though, when you're old like, enough I can torture you I don't I don't know this is probably big statements art is at its best collaborative creativity when all of our creativity can point the same direction we can be on the same page and have unity of thought and mind pointing toward the same goal. And the dark mirror to that is the exploitative creativity of putting people in the position that they 
that they're not going to thrive and be happy in. Right. Because you want your performance. It's a selfish kind of creativity versus a community-oriented kind of creativity. Yeah. And I'm just way more prone to get on board with the, the collaborative creativity rather than exploitative creativity. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I get that. And another big thought is, uh, Jess and I practiced this last night as we were watching the movie. If... At any point during the Chunktober series, the tension becomes too much for you and you get a little too spooked. Um, I want us all to think back to, we did it for a Patreon episode. We watched Enchanted for a Patreon episode. And do you guys remember the little tiny chipmunk? We've talked about this scene like a thousand times. He's cute. He's cute. (laughs) No, thank you. If you just, anytime there's something scary in a movie, a well-placed, no, thank you, completely diffuses the tension. Yes. And it's wonderful. So example, when we, when we saw all the blood pouring out of the elevators, both of us, our first reaction was, ooh, and then, no, thank you. No, thank and you. And it had no power over us. It I had like no that. power. I appreciate that. That's very good. You know what Thanks does have a that. lot of power? <laughs> yeah. The scientific cinema scale. Hey. I knew it was that. And it's my turn. <laughs> Mr. E is dead. Long live Mr. E. It's my turn to read the scale. And it goes a little something like this. Are you going to wrap it? Sounds like you're going to wrap it. <laughs> well, my name's Jordan Wonders, and I'm here to say the best thing we can do is a movie today. Okay. Um, <laughs> here to say the best thing we can do is buy that poster. Then follow it. like a, it doesn't what a, rhyme What there. a pro-gamer big-brainer. Boop, boop. The best thing we could ever say about a movie is own it, don't lend it, buy, buy that, that poster. poster. The next best thing, that's buy it, followed by rent it, and then stream it. After that is forget it, and last, but certainly least, the worst thing we could ever say about a movie. God hath forsaken us. I'll go first. You beat me to it by like a quarter second. Uh, I live my life a quarter second at a time. I am going to give this movie a stream it, and here's why. Um, I'm going to watch it again. I need to see if I can cleanse my palate of the... Uh, jaded cynicism that I have carried with me. And I'm I feel going, like that's going to be even more of an uphill climb. It could though. be. It's going to be like, hey, don't think about elephants. Could be, but that uh, I've never thought of an elephant in my life. There's no way you could make me do it. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to give it another try. But also, I feel like it has reached a point culturally that you must try it. And that's how I feel. Stream it. Hey, how do you interpret the ending of seeing Jack in 1921 at the July 4th ball? For me, it was that evil had always been there. It's even told to him when he is talking to the ghost in the bathroom. He's like, you've always been the caretaker. The ghost is like, you've always been here. Yeah. Yeah. I think once the hotel sinks its claws into somebody, they become part of its history. So I think um, my understanding, because the the picture is shown only to the audience and not to anybody. They did cut a scene where he found that picture in a scrapbook of the hotel. Right. That's actually from the book. It's very interesting. Um, I wish that Hmm. they had kept that because... I am forced to interpret this as Jack Nicholson is the reincarnation of the original groundskeeper or something like that. Uh, the original owner mm-hmm. of the hotel or something like that, which is why he says that he's experiencing a weird sort of even more uh, intimate deja vu with the building. Mm. Um, that's my interpretation of the movie's ending. Good. Uh, I can go next. So I am going to, I, I'm going to buy this film. Uh, and it's interesting, as much as the hotel begins to have uh, a strong influence on Jack, the longer he stays there, uh, the more I watch this movie, I'm enjoying it more. It's having its own special effect on me. And I think I, and, and Jordan, you've even alluded, alluded to this with a stream on the scale, but I think this this movie needed to exist, mm-hmm. whether it was adapted totally. well or not. Um I think without The Shining, there's a lot of our modern day horror. I'm glad we did this one first. It's our oldest horror movie yeah, that we're yeah. doing. There's a lot of modern day horror um, that is maybe non-existent if there is not this version of this kind of horror movie. I think personally, uh, I even think of experiences I've had playing certain video games uh, of having certain visions of something that you just can't explain. For some reason, Bioshock made me feel like the shining hmm. at points. I'm playing through Bioshock right now with Callie. Yeah. And so it was, yeah, I just think there's a massive influence and I think, uh, it needs to be seen if you can stomach it. Cause there are some disturbing things that could, if, if you're super fragile and don't want to watch it, or you're just a really good person and don't want to watch it, then I'm not going to force you to watch any of these, but <laughs> the shining is, it feels important to me. I'm going to rent this movie and here's why. 
and hopefully this comparison makes sense. I think this movie is like the Beatles of movies. There is tons of stuff that would not exist without it that I like more than it. But I cannot deny the importance of this movie. I, I can't. That's good. You know, th- there yeah. are so many things that would not have happened without The Shining. Um, and so because of that, I have to throw The Shining a bone and say, hey, you're not my favorite version of what you're doing. Yeah. But, but you, you invented the first. it. You were the first. And I, I love you for that. The Rosetta you know? Stone of movie horror. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it definitely has its... Uh, Cuckoo Kachoo moments, right? That you're like, what on yeah, earth yeah. were you on? Oh, you you are the Eggman? You are the walrus? So what's the walrus? Excuse me? <laughs> that part where yeah. Jack's like, nah, 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 nah. Hey, dude. Hey, Wendy. <laughs> that was accidentally just Green Goblin. That was Green Goblin. I was like, what was that? Yeah. That was Green Goblin. Godspeed, Spider-Man. Love of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Hey. Don't forget, next week it follows. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. Follows this Make sure you check that out. And then you can go ahead and next tell them, week does tell, fo- tell them next what week follows movie, this week. Tell them and then the movie, movie is It Follows. And it it's will gonna be follow well, this one. It uh-huh. follows. So what's the movie? Mm-hmm. The movie's called It Follows. Oh, oh, the movie's called it. Okay. <sighs> yeah. And I think I don't know is on second. <laughs> to end today's episode, you know, before we recorded. Uh, we watched T Pain's uh Twitch stream intro rap. It was wonderful. That's where our it's so boop, good boop <laughs> joke came from. I love him. He's fantastic. Twitch stream so, intro rap. If Jack Torrance was hosting a Twitch stream, what would be his go-to hip hop ad lib sound? <laughs> For two chunks in a hunk, I'm Jordan Wonders, and he'd be like, oh, oh. "It's like a seal." Yeah, kind of. Like a kiss. That's, kiss that's my impression of him in the hedge maze at the end. Yeah. You didn't hear my good seal joke. It was good. No, maybe. I heard it. Well, that's my seal joke. I'm Doge, and I think his go-to would just, he would be like, snick snack. <laughs> snick snack. You know, like an axe does. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. That's an axe sound. Uh, I think. But it would be like so slow and out of time. Like never really fits in the meter. So at it'd all. be more like snark snook. I like it. I, I I'm Carter, and I think it would be. Um, he's got his turntable, and he's just doing a line over and over again, and just asking you to put the bat down. Mm. Like Wendy, Wendy, put 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 the bat down. Put the put. And I think it's kind of like that kind of start. Uh, that's something. That's down. something that. And then that he'd baby be like, driver made. He'd be like, yes. Chat, baby, love of my life. <laughs> Go Love off of my life. <laughs> I'd never hurt the kid. You guys can't both do it, and I can't. <laughs> you get all the impressions. I just get one Jack Nicholson character. Oh, your Jeff Bridges is oh, pretty good. Love of my life. No. That's, the, that's Heath Ledger's Joker. That's Heath Ledger's Joker. <laughs> You're doing a lot of impersonations. You're doing more than we are. You're, You're doing, doing a right lot way. really well. You just not <laughs> you can't hit Jack the right one. Torrance. Give me a, give me a Jack. Give me a Jack Torrance. I'll, I'm going to nail it this time. I mean, that feels like the what only thing say? I give can me do really well. Give me a line. What can he say? Give me a line. Just do love of my life again. Love of my life. <laughs> the joke is over. This is not good. Wendy. Wendy. Love of my life. No, it's, it's like, like you're trying to. You're trying to. Jack Nicholson. Ah, <laughs> uh, I would never hurt the kid. No, Wendy, you've got. You're trying baby, to like rush somebody. Love of my life. You're impatient. Have me more impatient. Wendy, love I, of my life. Love of my life. There you go. It's happening. It's I so- would never hurt the kid. <laughs> I don't think so, it's, man. It's me, The Shining. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. 
But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.